5-4-3-2-1. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about direct mail today with personalization and how do we get all that creepy data. But first, I promised you I'd talk more about the Coca-Cola ads and this time we're going back to 1995. What's interesting about this ad is that it was the one that Coca-Cola ran as their second holiday ad last year in all of the UK, the results of the ad did not diminish. They found out, and we're going to talk a little bit about how Coca-Cola measures and why that's important, which it is. So here we go. Sit back, get your Coke, and let's, let's ride. the lights go on without anybody plugging them in when the Coca-Cola convoy comes by. There's the Santa says hello in the background. Okay, how about that? Coca-Cola really, really created what we think of as the iconic Santa Claus look. This is an interview in Marketing Week and it's it really gets under the covers of how the coca-cola ad team the coca-cola trademark global creative people think and um so islam el diasoki i don't know how to say that but anyway with marketing week and um he mentioned that the brand has long associated been associated with christmas and santa claus and um, it's iconic ad, Wonderful Dream, The Holidays Are Coming, that was what we just watched, um, was first aired in 1995. Okay, so that's almost 30 years ago. And it consistently performs well against more modern ads from other brands in testing. I think that's also interesting. Coca-Cola has been the second best performing festive advertiser of the last three years, according to System One. The, firm's, the firm awards all of the year's festive ads a star rating uh, between 1 and 5.9, and Coca-Cola has averaged 5.6. And I think the, the kindness one is going to do really well also. Um, in the last, in the UK last year, Coca-Cola decided not to create a second ad and only ran the holidays are coming, which is interesting. You know, Mark Ritson has pointed out some studies recently that say ads don't wear out they really don't uh you know i remember ads from my childhood like you'd walk i'd walk a mile for a camel or winston tastes good like a cigarette should i've never been a cigarette smoker but those ads are in my head and uh you know maybe we should do some of those ads they really they really are in there um, and lift and separate with a cross your heart bra. <laughs> you know, it's funny how 
advertising can give you can put things in your head that you don't you're not even interested in which we're going to talk about later okay but but keep that in mind because it is funny when you think about it think about the ads that you know and maybe even love and you'd never buy the product <laughs> they've moved toward digital a little bit um, but one one of the reasons for that is because they're changing from a one-way message to a more two-way human centric engagement and one of the things they're doing is they're uh, they're running some kind of a contest of what's your most iconic image of Santa Claus and of course Coca-Cola will probably win that since they've created it okay um, they also judge the success of an ad by the metric of weekly plus which means how many people are consuming coke on a weekly basis okay coca-cola looks to drive both brand love and weekly plus consumption through its marketing so you know people who think that direct marketing is just about creating a measurable impact they don't understand direct marketing and I've argued this I argued this with Bob Stone actually and uh, he was one of the board members of the direct marketing association back when it was the direct mail marketing association and uh, you know I said Bob it's all about testing isn't it and he said yeah we were you're so right John he said we were so close to it we couldn't imagine somebody measuring without without uh, testing and so we didn't put it in there but anyway I miss Bob so we're a brand built by the Giants before us said uh, Islam and the what remains consistent in terms of the overall messaging coca-cola aims to convey consistency is a big deal it's a big deal and Ritson would agree with that okay so I just wanted to because we're now we're going to shift over to creepy data and uh, <laughs> Tom Fishburne, who gives me permission to use his cartoons in my show, said uh, has some great ones about Santa, and well, so we'll do a, a transition across. First party data is coming to town. With iOS prophecy changes and cookies going away, how would you even know if I'm naughty or nice? Santa says it's called first party data, which is not going away. It's only the third party data that where they follow you around the internet and keep track of everything you do. That stuff's going away, but not the not the rest of it. And we'll just skip over the, the, the article. Data, privacy, and brand trust. Well, Timmy, if you didn't want me to see when you're sleeping and know when you're awake, know if you've been bad or good, then and sell that data to third parties, then you should have checked your privacy settings. <laughs> Always blame the user. And this is what I was really looking for. Targeted holiday advertising 2014. There's the elf on the shelf. See that up there? It's creepy how targeted these Christmas ads are. How do marketers collect so much data on us? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We're in your house and on your bookshelf. Okay, so now let's get over to don't be creepy. Best practices for using variable data in direct mail. And it's a really interesting article, well written by Sarah Stone from Gunderson Direct. And um, she begins, it's a long-held tenet of direct marketing that the more personalization you include, the more likely your efforts will be effective, which I 
you know, I, I don't know where that comes from. There's one um, landmark survey where people were asked, would you be more interested in an ad if it was something you were already interested in, essentially? <laughs> and people said yes, which kind of sounds tautological. <laughs> would you be interested in an ad if it was about something you weren't interested in, like cigarettes or... <laughs> Cross your heart bras. I told you we'd get back to this. You might not be interested in it, but it could still get in your head, right? But so there's this mantra that personalization is everything, and the more you use, the better. But probably, and 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 uh, Sarah says it's been proven time and time again. I would love to see one head-to-head -head test with and without personalization, and more than one, I'd like to see it retested a few times to see if it works. Um, what is personalization? Anything that makes your marketing communication more relevant. And that's the real problem. The real problem is, you know, you don't know what your audience is thinking about. You don't know what, you don't know, you know, if it's mass media, you don't know if they're paying attention or the or they if or even in the room, they might be on their computer, but the tab might not be. It might be open to your ad, but it, they may not be on that tab. Uh, there's countless ways an ad can can we call that breakage. An ad can be be posted but not seen. That's a lot harder with direct mail. <laughs> you have to look at it. You know we know who we sent it to. We know it got delivered. We know that it went to a decision maker. We know that. The person had to make a decision. We know all of those things means there's a guaranteed, baked-in, high level of engagement. But I'm still not sure, you know, that you can guess what I'm going to want next, which was the mantra of the of the digital advertising craze uh, in the early aughts, right, or the early teens of this century, uh, that we can deliver the ad right to your audience, right when they're thinking about your product. Right. I don't really, I don't even know what I'm going to be thinking about next. I don't know it about me, much less about you with your third-party data. So, mm, 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 mm. so given all that, we need to be careful, right? We need to be careful. Um, there, you know, even personalized images, I just don't, I don't see, I mean, unless it's something from AARP or, or some, you know, Medicare supplement or something. I mean, if you go on the, if you go on the Medicare, if you go on the Medicare pages, you'll see elderly people. But in general, um, either my, the ads I see are idealized, you know, let's see, here's Valpac. Let's see what Valpac has to say. Oh, there's one woman on there who could be blonde or could be white haired. I think she's blonde. There's nobody in there that looks like me. There's not even an old man. There's not even a man. <laughs> not even a man. It's coming to me. It's right here at this place. Not even not even a man. What do you know? That's the way it is. So even even the simplest personalization, you know, doesn't seem to happen these days. Okay? So the imperative, since you don't know what your customers are thinking, you don't know what they're going to be looking for, don't be creepy. It's probably, you know, uh, we may know, but you got to pay a lot for it. 
how many children live in your home or how long you've lived there. This is really good advice from Sarah here. We might know how long you've lived there. We might know where you spend your vacations. And I've never tried to rent that, but usually whenever you get this much specificity, you just can't get the names. You know, I was, <laughs> I've been working on a project with Lake, Lake Home Owners for a fairly high ticket project or high ticket product. And um, we've actually got geocoding information from 300 feet away from the shoreline, you know, which is something. And the question I asked yesterday to Rusty at Old School Marketing was, do you think it makes sense to put the name and then the lake and then the street, city, state, zip? And he liked that idea. I'm I'm curious what, what you all think about that. Would that be invasive it's based on your address it's based on the it's based on the street address but it's but it's not um privately derived you know it's it's pretty much public information based on your address you know it's funny because i know from growing up on lakes and living on lakes pretty much my whole life that a lot of people really like you to know that they're on a lake you know, even when you go into their office, they'll have fishing rods or they'll have pictures of the sunset from their cottage or whatever else. So those affinity areas can be very powerful. And oftentimes we we surround ourselves with affinity clues because you're not at my lake house if I'm if you're meeting with me in my office. You know, I've got it. I've got a lot of crazy paraphernalia in my office. If you came to my office, you would know some of my hobbies, right? Yeah, there's fishing stuff and hunting stuff and speaking stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Um, but marketing that uses too much or too detailed, and I like that, too much or too detailed information, can come off as creepy, especially for prospects who don't already have a relationship with your brand. If a prospect wonders where or how you obtained a piece of information, don't use it. Interesting. Now, here it comes. Here's how not to be creepy. This is where, this is gold here. This, this will help you, even if you have the creepy information. Uh, Sarah says, be subtle about it. Okay? You can leverage it without putting it in. So, let's say you knew that Jane Doe lived at her home, owned her home, and lived there for 12 years. Okay, you could say, Jane, you've lived in 123 Main Street for 12 years, so you'll likely need. But instead, you could also say, Jane, if you've lived in your home for more than 10 years, you'll likely need. Got that? You know, excellent idea. You know, and the Census Bureau will give you the neighborhoods that have Homes built in the 30s, or the percentage of homes, the percentage of homes built in the 50s, you know, that sort of information. It's fascinating what the Census Bureau has. And from that, you can make assumptions, you know, in a, in a, in a typical city, homes were built in a similar period. So you don't even have to pay extra, super extra, if you, if you figure out from the census data, which is available free, although it's hard to work with. Um, I have, I use mapping software that has it, uh, and can, you know, color code it for you instantly. 
Um, there's a lot of ways to find that sort of thing out. But as Sarah says, that's a really good way to do it. I think this is another way to use it. Variable printing can provide the address of a branch store closest to the recipient. And I get mailing pieces all the time that don't just make a simple assumption. You know, this store may be nearest you. It doesn't have to say, you know, we've charted it all and we know you shop at this store. It might be the nearest one. You know, I was I was working with a uh, a company that makes auto uh, restoration products, and um, I signed up for their for their mailing, and you know they they didn't say the nearest store is in Chicago, which maybe because it's too far away, but maybe I get to Chicago now and then, which I do, or a photo of an agent, right, or include a map. Just say, well, you know, I didn't even know they had a store that close. I thought they were, I think they're located in North Carolina or something. I thought they just had stores there. Um, also, you can use personalized URLs like company name slash Jane Doe. Uh, a lot of times you can also do janedoe.companyname.com, um, which is, I think, even more powerful um, as, a, as a subdomain. And um, I have some resources if you'd like to test that sort of thing. But mostly what's great about that is that you can pre-fill the responder's information. It also is great for tracking, right? Because we, we know then that you came from the mailing piece, if that's what we're doing, right? And um, so, you know, I've seen with customer data. I remember one of the first mailings I got from a from a religious organization that I supported and they said, you know, you've been giving, I don't remember, it wasn't a big amount, let's say $30 a month. You know, we, we, we wanted to thank you for that and we'd really love it if you could make it 35 or something like that, you know, which is a an 18% increase or something like that. But, you know, so it's a big increase, but it's not a lot of money. I just thought it was great that they actually noticed that I that I actually regularly gave them money. <laughs> you know, too often I just get repeat mailings saying, please give more, we have an emergency. Okay. So remind them of the products they've already bought. Use their purchase history to recommend new items, but don't, you know, don't pretend that you know what they're going to want next. Even Amazon is gentle about it. Amazon says, Customers who bought X, whatever you did buy, also bought. You know, you might like this. They don't even say you might like this. They just said they bought this. You might buy it too. You know, you might be interested. No claims about how we've we've used AI to figure out your brain and to try to predict where you're going to go. None of that. Just people who bought this also bought that. You know. And it, they started that with books, and it was very simple. Okay, so personalization is a proven tactic successfully. Again, I'd like to see more results. Personalization drives response, but creepy doesn't. And it may be a fine line. Have a great day. Like and repost. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.